Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international law firms for international legal issues. At ALRPRA, we manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. I'll introduce today's guests and then move forward with a disclaimer and some announcements. Today's guests are Laurel Bellows and Marcus Harris. First, Laurel Bellows, a principal of the Bellows Law Group, represents executives in the United States and internationally. Laurel is an experienced business lawyer counseling senior executives and corporations on employment matters, employment and severance agreements, executive compensation, and workplace disputes. Her expertise in executive compensation matters also includes mid-level management compensation and benefit plans and matters involving incentives, pension, retirement, and workforce restructuring. The Bellows Law Group PC offers transactional counseling and litigation services to entrepreneurs, small and medium-sized businesses, and large corporations. Client matters range from commercial litigation to business startups. Laurel is currently the president-elect nominee of the American Bar Association. She is immediate past chair of the American Bar Association's House of Delegates, the ABA's policy-making body, the second highest elected office in the ABA. You can find more about Laurel Bellows at the Bellows Law Group at www.bellowslaw.com. Secondly, we'd like to introduce Marcus Harris. Marcus Harris is a founding member of Marcus Stephen Harris, LLC. Mr. Harris focuses his practice on all aspects of technology law and intellectual property law, including domestic and international trademark prosecution, trademark opinions, counseling, due diligence, copyright, and trade secret law. He has extensive experience in transactions involving technology licensing, including software licensing. Marcus is an attorney who works with technology companies, software developers, and users regarding software development, licensing, ownership, and distribution. Prior to entering the private practice, he was senior corporate counsel at SSA Global Technologies, a global ERP software vendor. Mr. Harris also worked in the legal contracts department at SAP, where he drafted and negotiated hundreds of technology-related agreements with SAP's Fortune 500 customer base. The way to get in touch with Marcus Stephen Harris is by www.mshtechlaw.com. We do welcome callers today. The telephone number you can dial in is area code 917-889-9732, and you may press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. We also take your questions by email directly to me at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. Please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Now, when calling in, please be kind and mute your phone while waiting to make a comment so that we can avoid background noise. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys and guests on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. This programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views expressed on our shows are always welcomed. ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Before we get going with the show today, we have an announcement from a sponsor, Mary Erlane. Mary Erlane works to help professionals learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers. On March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will conduct a hands-on Leadership for Women workshop for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held in the large boardroom at ALRPRA's offices at 35 East Wacker Drive here in Chicago. ALRPRA is sponsoring your registration fees, making this a free event. So come by and enjoy a light breakfast and enjoy this pragmatic and acclaimed executive leadership workshop. Space is limited, so please register today by emailing me, nick at ALRPRA.com, with women rainmakers and business leaders in the subject line if you would like to reserve your complimentary seat at this workshop. ALRPRA is a Chambers Business Suites tenant, and we'd also like to thank Chambers Business Suites for co-sponsoring this event. 
Now for our subject matter today. Several business consultants have predicted an employee exodus from when the economy picks up again. Learn how to avoid some of the pitfalls of employee transition by being proactive from the beginning of an employment relationship. Proper setting of expectations and identification of business and property and intellectual property interests can help both employer and employee understand their respective rights and duties. Employee transition does not need to be unpleasant or lead to unnecessary litigation with proper planning and policy. So, moving to uh, moving to uh, ahead, I want to introduce our guests. Hello, Laurel, and hello, Marcus. Hello, Nick. Glad to be here. Hi, Nick. Good afternoon, Laurel. Nice to talk to you. Hello, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you both for your time today. I know that your time is valuable, and we look forward to putting together a wonderful show here. So we'll just go first. We're going to introduce Laurel and introduce Marcus. If you could both uh, go in order, and Laurel, if you could please tell us a little bit about what your practice and what you do in executive compensation. My practice as a business lawyer involves um, businesses at all levels, from startup all the way to working with large corporations. In the, in the executive compensation side, in the working with executives um, in transition or as, they, or as they start their first employment in a large corporation particularly, um, I work to make certain that their employment contract um, is, encompasses all the issues that we're going to be talking about, employee and employee relationships. Um, and I work with partnerships, with joint ventures, because there are, there are innumerable kinds of, of types of ventures in which an employee and an employer come together, um, and, and with sole proprietors and family businesses, with um, people who have lost their jobs and have decided that they don't want to be at the beck and call of an, uh, an employer other than themselves, and they have great ideas. Entrepreneurs are a growing part of this of this country and um, and employ most of the employees um, in in the country right now. So, um, what I do is strategic, trying to figure out exactly what the objectives of my clients are, and then work on employee and employer relationships that match those objectives. Uh, and the toughest thing I think that I face is the reality that an employee relationship will always end, Nick. All right, whether it whether it ends in uh, somebody saying goodbye voluntarily, moving on to another space, whether it ends with an employer saying goodbye, either for performance reasons or lack of ability to pay, whether there's a disability or a life change or a spouse moves, or you know, at some point or another we all die. So it's making certain that we look at all contingencies as we plan at the beginning for an employer-employee relationship. Thank you so much, Laurel, for that introduction. Marcus, now if you could please tell us a little bit about your practice and how it relates to employment situations. Sure, Nick. I'm an intellectual property and technology attorney, um, and we primarily focus on protecting and leveraging our, our clients' intellectual property, um, be, be it on the buy side or the sell side. Um, we represent everybody from you know small video game companies, um, software uh, developers, cosmetic companies, sunglass design companies, fashion companies. I mean, it really runs the gamut. We essentially uh, represent creative entrepreneurs with uh, an emphasis on uh, technology companies and software companies in particular. Now, as it relates to employment issues, you know, we don't specifically get involved to the extent that Laurel does uh, with employment-related agreements. Um, we certainly deal with startups and, and uh, some of the kind of the collateral agreements that uh, that employees need to sign with respect to intellectual property. Um, but that's really the extent of it. And I think today, what we're, what our our talk will focus on is really the intellectual property aspects of of uh, the employment relationship and how you want to protect those assets um, when when customers or rather clients. Uh, employees depart. Um, you know, we have particular situations uh, going on now with a couple of our clients where their employees leave, um, you know, allegedly take protected information, proprietary information, and use that information to uh, compete with our customer or clients, rather. So, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about, and we're really going to focus on the, uh, the intellectual property aspects of, of the topic today. Wonderful. Thank you for the introduction. Now, 
when we did a show not too long ago with a business coach, we talked a little bit about succession planning and uh, the onus and burden on employers to prepare for what's being called a mass exodus of employees as the economy picks up. Um, it's believed that many people are in current positions because they're fear that they're fearful of not finding another position, uh, or they just have no other alternative. In that, once uh, the economy is flowing well again, people will be uh, jumping ship, for a lack of a better word. So, can I get uh, some comments or thoughts on the recovering economy and what is expected? Well, from my perspective. Uh my desk is often a bellwether of what's about to happen. Either I've got only separation agreements on my desk or only um, consulting agreements from people who have not been able to find a job but need to earn money on the basis of their expertise. But I'm seeing more employment contracts on my desk, and job, the job market is picking up. But to actually say that we are going to be seeing in the short term a huge exodus of employees, I think is my guess is unlikely. I think there will be a, a big change in the market. I think that eventually there will be a shift, but I don't see it as a radical exodus as we saw in the in the technology in the technology industry. And Marcus can speak to this, where um, just people were stealing people with technology expertise every day uh, because there was such a there was such a dearth of. of talent uh, for the need as Palo Alto was growing and, and the tech industry was booming. My my thought right now is that employees are going to be a little gun shy of leaving. Um, their resume will be on the street, but, uh, it's, but people have um, cut their expenses a great deal and have figured out efficiency in, in uh, in their in their businesses. On the other hand, you know there are going to be a lot of jobs out there that weren't there before because the companies are starting to um, project that their businesses are increasing and there are going to be positions to fill. So it's going to be an interesting time, but I don't see mass exodus. Yeah, I would agree with Laurel Nick in that you know I think the the period of mass exodus in some in some respects has already happened with a lot of layoffs and um, you know reductions in, in workforce. So I think you know what I'm seeing in my practice now. It's certainly a pickup in uh, sales contracts as they relate to technology licenses, technology transfers, and that's indicative of, of an economy that's starting to pick up. We're also seeing a lot more um, trademark-related work, and that's almost always indicative of a good economy because those are you know new products and new initiatives and entrepreneurship that's happening. So I think the the signs are there that the economy is going to pick up, and I think as it relates to um, employment matters, I think you know there's going to be uh, certainly more hiring, and in that kind of a situation. From my perspective as an employer, you know, you want to, as Laurel said, you know, think about the employment relationship and think about, um, you know, what happens when that employment relationship ends, and you need to ensure at the front end that you've thought about that and that you've protected your trade secrets, your proprietary information, your confidential information, so that when those employees do leave, that um, you know, you you make sure that you're uh, you're intact and um, you can go forward without jeopardizing um, your intellectual property. And Laurel does bring up a really good point, uh, and Marcus, thank you for your comments, but I really like Laurel's point that all employee situations have one thing in common, is that they will all necessarily at one point end. So my next question is regarding succession planning, how often do you both in your practices hear about people engage in succession planning, um, knowing that this is something that is uh, pretty common in in the corporate world, um, I wonder if they come to attorneys with succession planning ideas and comments. Well, my clients come to me with succession planning mostly when we're talking about family, all right, when, when it's a family business. And by that, I don't necessarily mean a small business. I just mean a family-controlled business. And succession planning plays a big role there where there are perhaps brothers and sisters who do or do not want to enter the business and how to train them and move them into the business. And the, or when no one wants to go into the business and the family member who has founded a business wants to be sure that the, the business continues after they leave it, either by retirement or death, and that the value of the business is retained both for the family to live on or, or to make certain that there's a liquidity event that would be beneficial to the, to the family. In, in large corporations, succession planning is being pushed by boards now, which is you know, very important. In mid-size and non-public corporations, bankers and others are trying to get the attention of, um, of executives to do succession planning. I would say that um, the succession plans I see are of 
uh, range from black or white in a sense. That there's not a lot in between in the gray area, and that would be that either a company is focusing and pushing a very realistic succession plan for every position in their business, or they're telling people to put a succession plan together and their best estimate of who in an emergency would be the, success, the successor, but they're not giving a lot of thought to the training and development of the people. Um, who would succeed. So it comes in all shapes and sizes. It's a tremendously important, not exercise, but a focus. But I don't, I think a lot of people think of it more as an exercise. Thank you so much. Marcus, your thoughts? In my practice, what we see mostly is it's, it's done on an ad, an ad hoc basis. So, I mean, it's it's really not well thought out. You know, our clients really run the gamut in size, but I think, you know, a majority of, of the clients that we have are, are in the, the SMB space, the small to mid-size space, and they're really not thinking about this issue as, as much as they should. Um, in, in the startup phases for some of these tech companies that we represent, we'd certainly try to get some of these issues addressed in, you know, operating agreements and buy-sell agreements when, you know, you've got different investors coming in and closely held corporations and, you know, what happens when people sell stock and, you know, sell stock to uh, uh, individuals that the other people may not necessarily want to do, be, be partnered up with. Um, so that's that's where we see it in our business. But um, as it relates to, you know, full-blown succession agreements, I can't really say that that's incredibly common um, here in my practice, and when we do see it, it's really on an ad hoc basis. They know it's something they need to do, but they really haven't implemented it to its full effect. Hmm. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, again, succession planning is something that I learned so much about when we had our radio program on that, and it's really a wonderful opportunity to evaluate what human capital you have in your organization and the opportunity to advance people and move them forward. So, very important topic. We're going to pause quickly for identification and commercial break and then be back and in our second segment, we're going to ask Attorney Laurel Bellows to talk a little bit more in detail about the types of things that she encounters in her practice. For anyone who has recently tuned in, you're listening to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. Our first commercial sponsor is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review. You can get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com. Our second commercial sponsor is from Steve Fretzen of Sales Results Incorporated. If you're an attorney who's struggling with developing your book of business, try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys to double or even triple their books through their business development and approaching coaching programs. You can call and connect with Sales Results Incorporated by dialing 847-317-1575. That's 847-317-1575. Or visit them online at www.salesresultsinc.com. Now back to our Law Talk Radio program. Again, we do encourage listeners to call in with any of their questions by dialing area code 917-889-9732, and please press option 1 to be placed in the queue. Questions and comments may also be submitted again by email or through our contact page at alrpra.com. Now back to our programming. Laurel, if we could go back to your practice, let's talk a little bit more in depth about the types of things that uh, you encounter uh, within executive compensation and, and as a business attorney. Uh, first describing, if you could, maybe the nature of, of the employee and employee relationships as they come across and as you work with them. Sure, Nick. I think that everybody hears the word at-will employment in Illinois, so let's start there. Uh, an employer and an employee have, have come together, but in Illinois and in most states in our country, that employment is simply a function of performance and the desire to continue to work with each other. 
So when we say at will, um, it means that an employer can end a relationship. An employee can also just walk out the door. But an employer can end the relationship with an employee for any reason whatsoever, even, let's say, the color of a tie for the, you know, that someone is wearing, as long as that employer it doesn't discriminate against other people or that employee. So in other words, if they don't like purple ties, they can have nobody. As long as nobody is allowed to wear a purple tie, then whether we think that's a reasonable reason for termination or not, the law says you may terminate somebody. So it's at will unless there's an agreement. So uh, unemployment is very much like a marriage, and the separation and the termination of that employment almost identical to a divorce. Uh, There has to be uh, objectives. There have to be two people who want to continue to work together and understand and communicate those objectives, but the protection of an of a of an employer employee relationship is only provided by contract so what i do quite a quite a bit of every day right is negotiating employment agreements and contracts between employers and prospective employees and executives and consultants and um, and partners and joint venturers so that we put everything we can onto paper and try and foresee all the things that can go right and wrong with the relationship to preserve it until one or the other decides that they want to exit that relationship. And then we go so far as to to plan for that divorce, that exit, so that we don't have a big dispute and a lot of uncomfortable and expensive litigation at the time of a separation from employment. So the marriage could be as simple as a handshake, an oral agreement that I'm going to employ you now, Um, and set out maybe your title and the responsibilities for which I'd like to employ you. Uh, It sets out maybe the initial salary and whether or not I want to be responsible for health care, as many of our expectations as we can can talk about, and we could just shake hands and begin that relationship. That means that neither the employer or the employee is, is protected other than by oral agreement, which, of course, is very hard to prove because it's a he said, he said, or a he said, she said. The only two people who really understand what that handshake was about are the two um, who enter into the handshake. And the next stage might be, step up would be a letter agreement of some kind. It's simple, it's enforceable, but it's not a 25-page complex contract. It's just what our initial expectations are and some of the main things we're concerned about. What might happen if I earn a bonus during the year and and do tremendous work and and then you terminate me? Do I get that bonus in any event? Um, Am I entitled to um, a vacation of some kind? And am I entitled to uh, maybe a 401k match? So in simple employment situations, a letter uh, might be all that's necessary. And even if we wanted to provide for some kind of a separation time and a a payment for separation, it might say that if if terminated without cause, without cause, um, there would be maybe three or six months of payment of base salary. And and again, a simple letter um, is as effective as an agreement. It is a written agreement. And then the next um, area of protection would be, Nick, uh, a a time when we set forth uh, almost everything that we can think about that would be important to agree to in an employment relationship, just like in a marriage, a prenuptial agreement, so to speak, Um, who you're going to be working for, what your title is, under what circumstances um, you would earn a bonus opportunity, is there an equity position, Um, And if there's an equity position and you separate yourself from unemployment, how is that equity position valued or do you lose it? And into Marcus's and uh, and so, you know, I I throw it out, we're going to be talking about confidentiality and the kinds of provisions that are necessary in an employment agreement to protect confidentiality. But um, in the kind of agreements that I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with whether or not um, at separation we want to agree to a non-disparagement so that nobody's talking badly about each other and injuring each other's reputation. Uh, But the the point is that you can craft an agreement to be as simple or complex as you want. Um, The marriage can go for a long time. It could go for forever. It could be renewable in that agreement every single year unless somebody wants to think otherwise. Or it could be a one-year term or a three-year term. Um, or there could be a notice provision that says that we think we're going to keep this going for a couple of years, but if we both decide otherwise, we have 60 days to terminate that relationship. So 
the difficult part of describing this is just like marriages and divorces, everyone is different, and there are different personal considerations in every employment arrangement. Very good information, and it, it, I think I really appreciate the analogy, too, because it when we think of things in terms of an interpersonal or marriage or other relationship, really an employee-employee relationship is so similar, so I really appreciate the analogy. I do have a question that came in from an email. I have an a individual who wanted to know your thoughts on avoiding discrimination. Well, <laughs> right. avoiding discrimination is simply to treat uh, everybody um, in, the, in the same way, to make certain that there are equal opportunities for everybody that you're employing, and to be certain that communication is very clear and that objectives are clear and that performance goals are clear. So communication is probably the, the simplest and most effective way of avoiding discrimination. But understanding that the discrimination laws are in place so that everybody has equal opportunity to advance, that there is equality of pay, and that uh, regardless of race, gender, sexual preference, um, that each person who you employ has the same opportunity um, given their skills and your expectations to succeed. So if those opportunities for success are there um, equally for everybody, that's avoiding discrimination. And I like how you uh, identify that as opportunities for success, which leads right into my next question, which is what the the question is what really keeps employees now when we're thinking about how easy it is to start your own consulting practice or so that's so many options that may be there. What really motivates? And I'm just asking you based on your experience and in, in your work, what motivates people to stay within an organization? Well, I think we just t- touched on one of them. We're, you know, we're people who don't live by bread alone. Generally, um, people people like to be appreciated. They like to have an opportunity to perform and be successful. And they and they like to be in an atmosphere that is an encouraging, friendly atmosphere. So that atmosphere has a lot to do with it. People live at their job. It is a marriage in part. I mean, if you think about how many hours you spend at your job. Um, Some of us are lucky to work eight hours, but most of us are working much more than that. And then we're traveling to and from our jobs. So unfortunately, we spend less time at home than we spend working in most circumstances. So we want it to be a pleasant, challenging, exciting environment. We want to be rewarded for our loyalty and our performance. And then, of course, we do uh, need to put bread on the table. So incentives that that are outright compensation, whether it's cash or a golden handcuff, which I'll talk about a little bit, um, the the compensation is certainly an incentive. So the incentive to love where you, where you are working probably keeps people more, uh, it's a more powerful incentive to, re, to stay than e- even the cash or the equity compensation because uh, people can go to the next employer. I'm always negotiating um, the new employment, which incorporates a sign-on bonus to make somebody whole for what they're leaving behind with a prior employer. So simply the fact that you have a bonus upcoming or that you know there you might forfeit equity or stock options if you move to a next employer doesn't necessarily keep someone there so the workplace environment is big and the and the opportunity for success is big but if we turn to incentives for a second um equity a piece a piece of the of the operation that is yours is often a large incentive uh, unfortunately when i'm negotiating it's it's often less real than it appears. So I would warn our employees out there and our employers that when offering an equity incentive, um, one of the ways to avoid litigation is to make sure that your folks understand what happens when they leave, what happens when they leave voluntarily, what happens when they leave because you say goodbye to them, what happens to that equity, and what are the chances of their actually realizing income or revenue as a result of getting equity. Uh, and other kinds of incentives are things if you don't want to give stock or options, we we do something called phantom um, phantom equity, which means take the valuation of the company today when I start working for you and tell me what I might get at the end of the time of my employment or at different times during my employment. What what do I receive as a as a thank you by way of a recognition for the increase in value in that equity, uh, that phantom equity and the valuation of the company based on my contribution to the company. So there are many ways of incenting and many companies retain, uh, they retain because 
they they pay bonuses not at the end of the year, but they pay out the bonuses in the middle of the next year. So that, and you have to be employed in order to receive the bonus. So you might work an entire year and not want to leave because you're looking forward to a huge bonus, which may not be paid until March or April. Companies incent by doing long-term incentive plans, not just a one-year incentive plan. Companies incent by vesting stock over three or four years instead of just handing you stock certificates, making you earn it in kind of a, a round robin. So there's always something that's unvested out there that you would have to leave behind. So there are many ways of incenting and retaining employees. Now, before we go to the break, can we talk a little bit about performance goals? Mm. Again, that yes. we touched a little bit about it, but a little bit more about performance goals. I really like them. Well, performance goals are not only important, but in some instances in public corporations these days, becoming more and more uh, required because performance-based compensation um, is a lot more palatable to shareholders than seeing uh, executives receive huge chunks of equity and money um, when a company <laughs> is losing money. The shareholders lose value, and the executives walk away with you know uh, $30 million in, in options and stock, and that's what has caused a lot of the revamp of our rules and, and shareholders' attention. But performance based compensation is what we would what we ordinarily would expect. The problem is um who sets the goals? Are the goals realistic? So to the executives out there pressing back on goals that are not realistic so that you can't actually earn incentive compensation at the end of the year and to the employers out there to make certain that that performance based goals are as objective as possible. Uh, subjective parts of performance is still important, you know, how the individual performs, how the corporation performs, and how uh, you lead your team uh, to to the inquirer that sent us an email on, on discrimination. There are many, there are many, many corporations right now that are compensating with an uh, with extra bonus uh, bonus points for those who are diversifying their business units and are are hiring and and developing diverse candidates for jobs, so that there are other ways of doing subjective um, criteria for for bonuses. But the best ways of of um, of compensating for performance is to set an objective criteria and have people meet them on an annual basis. Thank you so much for those comments. And and my, it's I think about make the plan, work the plan. That's what so many people in networking getting work done is make a plan, work the plan. And with what we're talking about with the employment agreements, it's have an agreement, follow through with an agreement. Um, so very good comments. Thank you very much. We're going to pause shortly for our daily legal news and other sponsor break. Then we'll be back with a third segment, and we'll talk a little bit more with Attorney Marcus Harris about some of the intellectual property uh, concerns when we look at employee and avoiding employee transition issues. So our daily legal news today comes from the AMLAW Daily and posted today, February 24th. The title is Bernie Madoff, Sue's SEC Lawyer, posted by Demetria Kessenides by Shannon Green, Corporate Counsel. Quote, the top lawyer for the Securities Exchange Commission has been named as a defendant in a suit seeking recovery of profits gained through investing with Bernard Madoff. The New York Daily News reported that trustee Irving Picard sued filed suit last November, claiming the family of David Becker invested with Madoff and who Madoff with earned more than about what was it, one point five million dollars in ill gotten gains. Quote, I got the last the complaint last week, end quote, Becker told corporate counsel on Wednesday. We're going to look at it, seek legal advice on it, and afterward we'll respond and do the right thing. Becker, at age 63, and his two brothers, William and Daniel Becker, were each named individually in their capacity as co-executors of their mother's estate. The estate included a Madoff account, which was liquidated by the brothers in 2005. Madoff is currently serving a 150-year prison sentence in a federal prison in North Carolina after admitting last year to committing decades-long fraud. According to the Daily News, Becker has never been publicly disclosed and that his family invested with Madoff, and the lawsuit does not allege that Becker or his family members had knowledge of the fraud. For more about this story and other stories affecting uh, legal news all around the globe, please visit AmLaw Daily News. You can search them on Google by AmLaw Daily, and you'll find the AmLaw Litigation Daily and AmLaw Daily News. Our uh, next sponsor is Jim Thompson from the Get Clients Now program. Are you a solo practitioner or do you work in a small law firm and want to get more clients? 
If this sounds like you, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you should talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. He'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring monthly guest on the Law Talk radio programs, and after retiring from his fulfilling career as a trial lawyer, Jim now focuses his time on helping other attorneys build their practices. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to our program. We want to again remind our listeners that you may share these programs in your social networks. Again, many people do find out about our shows through Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So again, when we do share these shows and you find them, please share them with others because it's your comments that drive our guests, our programming, and everything about Law Talk Radio. So we appreciate uh, your time. And now we are going to go back to our programming and talk a little bit more with Marcus Harris about some of the intellectual property concerns of employment transitions and employee situations. Marcus. Thanks, Nick. And, you know, I, I want to key in on some of the themes that, that Laurel was talking about previously. And I think one, one of the things that I really, or one of the themes that she was mentioning that I really like is this concept of, uh, you know, this employment relationship being like a marriage and that, um, you know, it, this relationship, without a doubt, is going to end at some point. Um, and, you know, when you're drafting these agreements, what you're doing on the front end is preparing for the back end. So you, you're, you're drafting an agreement that will not only govern the, the employment relationship, but, but will govern what happens at the termination of that relationship. And in my practice, we deal primarily with the protection of confidential information or proprietary information. Now, that's a, that's a broad umbrella term, and it can mean and include many things. And so one of the things that it, it includes are uh, patents and copyrights and trademarks, and it also includes this kind of um, amorph amorphous concept of trade secrets. Um, and what I want to talk about a little bit about is about the concept of trade secrets, because I think you know in the news um, we're seeing a lot of uh, trade secret theft, um, misappropriation of trade secrets, whether it be you know HP, uh, Cisco, SAP, and Oracle. Um, you know, you've got executives leaving companies, starting other companies, and you know, there's always allegations that uh, trade secrets were stolen. And, and I want to focus in on what what a trade secret is first, and then I want to talk about you know how we protect trade secrets, um, you know, some of the practical implications of of that protection, and what companies can do to make sure that their trade secrets are protected. And then I want to talk a little bit about some of the statutory protections that are available as well, and some of the alternative and creative approaches that we use in my practice to protect a company's trade secrets. Um, so a trade secret generally um, is going to be things like um, customer lists, proprietary software, um, even techniques, devices, designs, uh, formulas. You know, the Coca-Cola formula is a very famous trade secret. So the takeaway is that trade secrets, Nick, are almost always these intangible assets, um, and really they are almost always some of the company's most valuable assets. And it's also important to remember that trade secrets are really a function of individual state law. So there will be slight variances in how trade secrets are protected depending on what state the client is in, uh, what state the company is in. So um, there will be differences, like I said. Regardless, though, of what state you're in, a trade secret is typically defined in, in three ways. It's, it's information that's not generally known to the public, and it's information that derives its value mainly because that information is not generally known, and that information needs to have been subject to reasonable measures to maintain its confidentiality. And we're going to talk about some of those reasonable measures in a second here. Um, one of the things to remember, though, is that you know if, if trade, trade secret protection is really a function of what you do and the steps that you take. So if a trade secret is disclosed to anyone without the proper measures in place, and these are things like confidentiality agreements, non-disclosure agreements, and some other things, any protection that would be afforded to that trade secret will be lost and it will not be treated as a trade secret. So it's vitally important to protect these things properly. One of the interesting things 
to think about is the comparison between trade secrets to other intellectual property protection schemes. And when I say that, I mean particularly patents and copyrights. Um, so there's, there's a, a dichotomy here. You've got patents and copyrights that, in fact, um, one of the prerequisites to their protection is that they are disclosed to the public. And you know, on the flip side here, you've got these, tra these trade secrets which derive their protection from the fact that they are not disclosed to the public. In my practice, what we see, we represent a lot of uh, software vendors um, of all sizes. And um, what we see a lot of is because of this public disclo disclosure obligation with respect to copyrights and patents, a lot of these companies rely really um, primarily on trade secret law and contract law for the protection of their source code and other intellectual property that they have um, precisely because they don't want to make it publicly available. So, you know, the type of measures that you put in place are vitally important. And the agreements that you have in place um, many times are, Nick, the only type of protection that, that a software company might actually have. I think, though, that, and this kind of goes to Laurel's point about incenting, incenting clients or customers, rather, um, and, you know, having a good, a good workplace environment and having a good culture. You know, you have these conflicting interests as an employer. You want to have robust agreements in place that, that adequately protect your proprietary information, your trade secrets, but at the same time, you need to balance your need to protect your trade secrets um, with the ability to attract top talent and really, you know, form alliances with other business partners so that your company can continue to grow. Nobody's going to want to do business with you if you lock down, you know, every, you know, your intellectual property and your trade secrets in every conceivable way. You're going to be an unattractive um, company to join, and you're going to be an unattractive uh, business to partner with. One of the interesting trends that we see in the technology space now really is kind of, um, a loosening of the grip on some of this intellectual property and some of the trade secrets, and this goes to Laurel's point a bit, you know, where people are interested in kind of getting some kind of an equity interest. Um, one of the creative approaches that I saw recently was a company that actually um, wants to grant an ownership interest into uh, in intellectual property that is created by some of the senior executives so that they can then go take that um, to other companies and, and um, use that. Now, that's a very risky proposition and not something I typically recommend uh, for my clients, um, but for this particular company, it actually made sense because of the particular business they were in. So, you know, that brings us to this concept of, well, how do you actually protect your trade secrets? Um, it really depends entirely on the standard of care that's applied by the owner. So, you know, you've got a variety of, of mechanisms to use. Um, you at all times want to be reasonable and you want to have a practical approach to this kind of stuff. I think, you know, very common sense things um, that you can do internally first um, make sense. So, for example, with respect to your trade secrets, you're going to want to limit the distribution of the information within the company to only those employees and executives that have a real need to know the information you are going to want to limit the numbers of copies of the information. You don't want, you know, unlimited um, um, copies flowing around. You don't want these things stored in easily accessible computer files where they can be emailed. Um, you need to use passwords, and you need to advise people that this information is um, not to be accessed. Um, it is confidential and proprietary. And Similarly, you need to have non-disclosure agreements in place with both your employees and with the third parties that you do business with. And I think you need to have um, a real good understanding of the risks that are presented here. Um, there was a recent study done on um, all the trade secret uh, cases done in the last few years, and it was found that 90% of, of the trade secret cases um, in both state and federal courts um, the alleged misappropriator, the, uh, the infringer, so to speak, was either an employee or a business partner. So that's really where you know, the risk lies, and I think you know, in, in the employee concept particularly, because these are the people that you know, are under the tent and they're seeing what you're doing, and they have um, you know, incredible access to this stuff. 
Um, some of the other steps that I think you know my clients we advise them to take. Um, and again, we approach this from a common sense perspective as well as certainly a legal perspective and, and having solid documents in place that have been drafted um, appropriately. You need to think about um, this holistically. And you know, with the prevalence today of telecommuting um, and work from home arrangements, I think it's really easier than it's ever been before for employees to you know, take their computers home or alternatively use their own resources in connection with their job. So for example, as an employer, and especially a small employer, and this may seem attractive to a small employer, you want to avoid allowing employees um, to use their personal laptops or their personal email accounts or even their personal cell phones to conduct business for you. Um, we had a recent uh, case, uh, a, a large technology vendor um, they're having a problem with their um, employees leaving and going to arrival. And what are, one of the things that they um, are concerned about is the fact that these employees, and many of them have been with this, uh, this client for many years, they have their cell phone numbers and they have the company doesn't actually own the cell phone number. So what you have is a situation where you know, you've got an employee um, that is leaving to go to a competitor. They maintain the same cell phone number. You know, and that, that cell phone number is a vital asset. You know, is it a trade secret? No, it certainly isn't. Um, but is it valuable? Is it proprietary? I think you can make an argument that it is, and you're certainly being damaged uh, you know, by not having an ownership interest. So I think you need to take, take a look at this stuff from a, a practical perspective because you know, there's a lot of steps you can take, and they're not all purely legal perspectives or uh, steps, rather. So it's, again, a lot of common sense approach and a holistic and pragmatic approach. And Marcus, thank you for pointing out some of the things that are so, uh, you know, turnkey. These are things that we can look at immediately. Um, often we get so much advice that's from a 30,000-foot view. It's so good to think about things like um, not, not using the personal cell phone. Sometimes if you're a small company, you would think that that would be, uh, you know, an easy, cost-effective thing to do. However, then you have an employee, if it's on the business cards or email, um, I can see the potential problem. So we're going to pause quickly for another break, and then we'll be back with both uh, Marcus Harris and Laurel Bellows, and we'll talk about some uh, final considerations and thoughts. So at this point of the show, we like to pause for our law practice management resources. And our first practice management resource today comes from ABA Publishing, ababooks.org. Today's title is Foundations of Digital Evidence. Foundations of Digital Evidence provides you with a legal and practical approach to new world of digital information. This book has been described as a must-have for litigation lawyers, corporate counsel, and records managers who want to understand how to appropriately handle the digital information of an enterprise. This book provides an overview and history of digital evidence, as well as a thorough discussion of relevant issues, and the title again is Foundations of Digital Evidence, ababooks.org, ABA Publishing. Our second practice management resource, the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. When you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published by Attorneys in Transition site, and I hope that you do visit and leave your comments at attorneysintransition.com. Our final practice management resource, again, is ALRPRA Incorporated. Our practice management services offer hourly consulting and fixed-fee project-based services in systems development for your office management purposes, as well as public relations, marketing, technology, and finance. Our webinars and hands-on desk reference materials are available for attorneys in transition, especially anyone launching a solo practice. Please visit our At Work page at ALRPRA.com for more information. Our final commercial sponsor for the day is credit damage expert George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. 
George Finder is one of the only, one a handful of credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder is available for consulting on damage to credit reputation. His website full of resources is www.creditdamageexpert.com. Again, creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Now, again, our dial-in number, if you have any final questions uh, or any questions out there, callers, you may dial in 917-889-9732. Again, 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the caller queue. Again, your questions are always welcome uh, at ALRPRA.com through our Contact Us page. We know that many of you listen to these shows on the archives after the fact, so please do still be in touch with us with your comments or questions for future programs. Again, reminder... You can also find more about Law Talk Radio on Facebook. Please go to the Facebook search tab and just search Law Talk Radio, and you'll find our fan page for the show. Now, we want to get back to our guests. Again, we're talking with attorneys Laurel Bellow and Marcus Harris. And for our final segment of the show, we're going to cover anything uh, that we have not already touched upon. And um, I guess we'll start with uh, some horror stories. If Who wants to go first of telling us this is why you should have thought ahead? Uh, Marcus, this is yours. I bet you have a bunch of good horror stories. <laughs> well, you know, I've got a few. Um, and the one that really comes to mind off the top of my head here is you know, this, it's just this concept of unfair competition where you, you've got entrepreneurs that have really spent their blood, sweat, and tears on coming up with an idea. They've started a small technology company, and, um, you know, they, they've really put themselves out there, invested a lot of money, and they've failed to actually put in place the proper agreements uh, to protect what they think are trade secrets. You know, they've done some of the right things, and this is a client, um, this is actual, a real case scenario. Um, and, you know, they, they, they weren't as, uh, as forward-thinking as they probably should have been. And there's a saying in my business, and, and, and uh, Laura, you probably heard this too, that's, you know, early legal advice is not cheap. Um, it's when, you know, you get your, your, you're bringing your attorneys into uh, the scenario towards the tail end is where you've got a big mess on your hands and you've got uh, some significant legal fees that you're going to incur. So we had a small technology company didn't have the proper agreements in place. Um, a good portion of uh, some of these uh, valuable employees left, started up a competing consulting company uh, for the implementation of the software uh, that my client provided, and were able to provide services um, at a much lower uh, fee. Um, and because they didn't have the proper agreements in place initially, it was much more difficult to stop this unfair competition from happening. Um, it resulted in a lawsuit and um, some very expensive legal fees and uh, a lot of time and energy wasted uh, that could have much better spent on, uh, you know, business matters. We ended up with a settlement where um, the other company actually had to pay a uh, percentage um, for every customer that they uh, had gone into. Um, so it was a, su- a successful resolution towards the end, but it could have, much of it could have been avoided if they would have come to us very early on in the process and they would have just had us draft some appropriate agreements that would have properly protected the information. We got really bogged down in the litigation in trying to, uh, you know, defend what was a trade secret and what wasn't, what was confidential, what wasn't. Um, so, you know, like I said, if you, you, you do these things properly in the beginning, it's going to save you a lot of money and heartache um, in the end when things do blow up, and uh, they always do blow up. Mm. <laughs> Go ahead. My, my horror story would be uh, expectations versus reality. Executives who are very excited about a new opportunity, particularly when it when they're going to be um, taking a cut in base salary and hoping for equity at the end. So they want a piece of a new company. They're entrepreneurial. They're very thrilled. They get in there, um, and that and and they find that 
um, things aren't quite as they seem, that the, the board or the other the people who are controlling the company terminate them after three or four years of work before, uh, right as they're about to sell the company to somebody else and they are not allowed to you know, benefit from the work that they did. Or um, they've taken a, a number of years of a reduction in base salary as a result of receiving 5 or 10% of the equity in the company, and, and they don't realize the risk that this just may never come to pass. And so I think when we talk about the prenuptial agreement, it's really important to allow, first of all, to get good counsel, and then to really allow your lawyer to represent you. Because I, th I find that I, I fight a lot with my clients on the employment side because they say, this is such a great opportunity, Laurel. I really don't care. It'll be okay. I trust them. And then three or four years later, they're coming back to me. Not, I don't ever say, I told you so, but they're saying, oh, my goodness, I've just wasted three or four years of my life, and they terminated me, and I, or, I ha or I had to leave because I had to earn some income, and, I, and I'm never going to see the benefit of all these years that I've put into growing this business. What a scary proposition, and it is scary when you go all in to any situation. Um, I know as as a business owner, um, some of the things that we talked about today were, were very helpful to me, too. Um, I'm always concerned with someone taking uh, taking a list or taking information or intellectual property or something that I have worked tireless hours on putting together. Are there What happens in, in the situation where there's an emergency? Do you have relief as an employer if something happens and you consider it an emergency? From an intellectual property and trade secret protection uh, perspective, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you've got the proper agreements in place. You've done the due diligence up front. Um, you're able to, you know, go into court and seek injunctions and restraining orders and, and uh, equitable relief. Um, and you know, if you've, like I said, if you've done your due diligence, there's a there's a high probability that you're going to uh, be successful at least in obtaining some kind of a preliminary injunction, um, which is going to stop them from um, you know, disseminating your your uh, your trade secrets and, and unfairly competing with you and further damaging you. So, you you can get immediate relief, and it's imperative to you know have the proper agreements in place that are going to allow you to be able to do that easily. Thank you. That's uh, very true. Again, having the agreement. So now, for any of uh, any, let's say, other business owners out there listening today, right now, um, and they have not done done these things so far, and this is the first time they've thought about doing uh, employee compensation agreements, and they're thinking of hiring a lawyer. Laurel, what would be some of your uh, bits of advice for someone who is at the point now where it's appropriate to be looking at these ideas? The, the advice is very simple. Don't be afraid of consulting with a lawyer. Uh, the, the, the idea of consulting early rather than facing the consequences later uh, makes this a lot, um, a lot less expensive at the consultation portion. But it's also lawyers are, are great at strategy. I mean, lawyers are your business partners. They're, they're not there to make things more difficult. They make things um, from their experience and their experience with other clients to make your business easier and give you tips um, to handle uh, employment concerns right now. But mostly um, the strategy first the, and know your objectives, communicating with your current employees, but understanding that in the employment area um, there aren't a lot of solutions like a, a temporary restraining order that Marcus has. There, you know, the, the emergencies become very, very expensive when you have to um, terminate an employee or you want to hire somebody quickly uh, from another employee and there's a non-compete conversation that needs to happen. These are, these are very difficult in an employment area and involve long-term and painful litigation. So planning first is my suggestion. Thank you so much, Laurel. Laurel, some contact information, anyone who listens who wants to get a hold of you. My contact information at my email is lbellows at bellowslawpc.com. All right, so uh, it's lbellows, B-E-L-L-O-W-S, at bellowslaw.com. Thank you. And Marcus, your contact information? It's mharris at mshtechlaw.com, and the phone number is 312-263-0570. Okay, and thank you so much. Now, before I read some final messages, I want to take this opportunity to thank you both for volunteering your time to be on the program today. Absolutely, we Nick. We had fun. 
Thank you. All right. Great. Wonderful. And we also like to thank our listeners and our commercial sponsors. We had uh, messages today from, number one, Mary Erlane of Peak Marketing and Sales and LMI Riverside. Secondly, Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Third, Steve Fretzen of Sales Results Incorporated. Fourth, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. And fifth, credit damage expert George Finder. Some upcoming shows we have for you on Monday the 28th, Nancy Ducharme will be our guest talking about advertising copy review. Having trained in ad copy review when working at Sidley and Austin, Nancy Ducharme approaches ad copy review with a mix of legal expertise and her corporate business background. On March 1st, we have Yuskigan from XV Technology Corporation in Houston who will be our guest to talk about IT outsourcing, disaster recovery, cloud computing, and law firm technology. Then on March 3rd, Jim Thompson and me, Nick Augustine, will be your uh, be on the show to talk a little bit about um, we're going to be talking about streamlining your practice in management, uh, looking at systems and how to really focus on systems while our employees are certainly a very vital and important part of our organization. Having a good system in place is also very key. So by way of disclaimer, again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary on your specs and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship, and the show is programmed to be politically neutral and objective, and counterparts to views are always welcomed. ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, these Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners, and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time.